following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, well if you would find your place in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing on our study verse by verse through the whole book of Matthew. We started at the beginning, going verse by verse through, giving a good context for what is there for us that God has given us. So while you're finding that, let me just ask you a question, kind of give you some thoughts to direct our attention. And these are mostly rhetorical. just want you to think about them. How many of you have ever attended another church in your lifetime? Just think about that. Not, not just this one, but have you attended another church? Have you heard other preachers preach in your lifetime? Now, I think most all of us have probably had that experience. Maybe just one other church. Maybe you know folks who have been at this church for a, for a long time. And, and maybe there are a few who have only <coughs> attended this church their whole lives. That's possible. But even those who fall into that category, I'd suspect you probably have heard another preacher in your lifetime. So you've heard many different preachers, probably. So I want to say something that we should all probably be aware of regarding that. Just because we've heard some preacher say something from the pulpit in the past does not necessarily mean that it's biblically accurate. And that includes me. So I'm not throwing stones. I'm lumping myself into that category. Just because the preacher says it doesn't make it true. Now... Having said that, that's my goal. I never ever want to stand up here and say anything that isn't 100% what God said. I don't. That's a scary thing for me. I always want to be in line with what God says. But we should all recognize that just because the preacher said it doesn't mean it's true. This is why I always not always, but often, tell you all, don't take my word for it. Have your Bible open in your lap. I put the, the Scripture on the screen uh, for you to follow. You know, I want, but I want, you to, I want you to have your Bible because that's the authority, right? It's not me. It's not the preacher. The authority is in the Word of God. So if we understand that, uh, and understand, that's the only way, by the way, that's the only way you can ever check if what I'm saying is true, if you've got your Bible open. So, just understand that. But here's the, here's the bottom line truth. Nothing any preacher has ever said is worthy to be believed unless it is in agreement with the Word of God. Nothing. You don't, newsflash, you don't need my opinion on anything. You need to know what God says. That's why, that's why I preach the way I do. That's why I preach expository 
sermons from the Word of God, which means we take a paragraph of Scripture, we usually do it through a book of the Bible, and, and I preach. So here, here's what it looks like. Pull it down like this. Whatever the central truth of the text of Scripture is, that should be the central truth of my sermon. Because that's all I'm trying to do. Read the Word, explain what it says, what it means, how we apply it to our lives. That, that's what we're doing. Okay. So, believe me in as much as I am in accordance with God's Word. And by the way, that's exactly what Jesus was getting at in today's passage and in, in the Scripture that lies ahead of us in the Sermon on the Mount. He will use this formula multiple times here in the next several weeks. You've heard it said, and then he'll say something, and then he'll say, but I say to you, and he'll fully define and explain what the law means. Remember last week? This is what I why I told you that this was the, the key passage for the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week's scripture, which was verses 17 to 20. And you'll, you can see it in your Bible right here. Verse 17 in particular. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill. Jesus is going to give full expression to the truth of the Word. And then we're going to see that put into practice right here. So, knowing that His Word is our final authority, let's read His Word. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. Here's what the Bible says. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore... If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you today. Your word is before us. And I pray we are listening. God, I don't want to pray for things that we're confident we can do ourselves. I pray for you to do the things only you can do. Please, speak to our hearts. Help us understand, and more importantly, compel us to obey. Please, Lord. If you don't show up and work, we have no hope. We are dependent on you. Help us see that. And help us run into your presence 
for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage today, I want you to look at the, look at the title. I, I couldn't think of a better one. I wanted to, to make this uh, extremely personal. So, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm a murderer. Now, before you all think, well, I'm being a little dramatic and that's too much, uh, so are you. And that, that's kind of a heavy statement. But when we read Scripture, and this is Jesus speaking, mind you, when we read Scripture in its context and understand that last week we studied a passage of Scripture that said specifically, explicitly, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Every stroke. None of it will pass away until it's all fulfilled. That's what Jesus said. And so, understanding what that means, here, here's how this breaks down today, this particular paragraph. There's a few sections, and uh, it's not really um, a section where you know, I need to take this note. And this. You may want to write some things down today, and that, that would be helpful. But here's how it looks. Jesus says, you've heard this, and then Jesus says, but I'm saying to you, this is what this really means at its deepest level. So, so Jesus is going past the, the letter of the law, going to the spirit of the law. What does it really, really, ultimately mean? And how are we to uh, form our beliefs and our lives around the truth of what God's Word says to us? So let's look first at verse 21. You have heard. So Jesus here goes back to the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Commandment number 6, you shall not murder. Very specific. Um, older translations used to say you shall not kill. But that's not entirely uh, accurate for that Hebrew word. You shall not murder. It speaks specifically of taking innocent life. So that word murder in our language more correctly defines what's being said there. You shall not murder. Commandment number 6. Whoever commits murder shall be guilty before the court. Verse 21. The literal word of the law then... Think about this. The literal word of the law basically then allows people to excuse their own guilt as long as they don't actually commit the act of murder. So it would follow then, well I guess everything up to that point is okay. Right? If we want to be the letter of the law. You shall not murder. Okay? So... Well, I didn't murder, so I I'm, I'm, guess I'm still good. Right? And by the way, don't we have... This is my, this is my perspective. You, you can agree or not agree, that's fine. But it, it, it would seem to me that human beings in general have a really interesting knack for rationalizing our own behavior. Like we can, we can kind of absolve ourselves of guilt. Well, I didn't... I didn't yeah, that, I guess technically that's a lie, but it's just a little white lie. It's, you know, I didn't really, it was more of an omission. I didn't tell the whole, you know what I'm saying? Were you dishonest? Were you deceptive or not? You know, but we want to we wanna split hairs and think, well, I didn't, techni technically, I, you know. What's your heart telling you? 
in that instance. See, so Jesus is looking past that because the intent of God's law was not to say, well, everything up to the actual act of murder is okay. That was not the intention. So you look to verse 22. Because then Jesus says, but I say to you, now let me just kind of paraphrase, everyone who's angry with his brother is guilty before the court. Angry. Not physical act of murder. Angry. Then he says, whoever says to his brother, now in, in my translation here, um, it, it, it says, you good for nothing, in verse 22. You know what the literal translation of that Greek word, raka, means? Empty-headed. Empty-headed. So if you say that, you're guilty before the Supreme Court, which is the, would be the Sanhedrin, the highest court. And then next he says, whoever says you fool shall be guilty of the fiery hell. The Greek word there is Gehenna. Fire. It talks about uh, a trash heap that's disposed of by burning it up, completely consumed. Okay? So you see what's happening there? Jesus mentions, he, he quotes the Old Testament law, Exodus 20.13, commandment number 6, but then he says, but I'm saying, angry, empty-headed, fool, you say these things, you have this attitude in your heart toward your brother, you're guilty. The law did not intend to excuse behavior and thoughts and attitudes and words that come from the same heart where murder comes from. If, just take a second. If you have a, if you picked up a bulletin when you walked in today, look at the front cover and just read those words to yourself. You see it? See, murder is not just the first action. Because if it was, you'd have to say, wow, that escalated quickly. You know, went from just having a conversation, no, or, no, 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 there's, there's stages. It begins in the heart. I, I had a seminary professor, and I, at the time, this has been 20 years ago, I, at the time I remember thinking, we've got to say this in a seminary classroom? But, you know, apparently, just because you're in seminary doesn't make you perfect. You're still a rotten sinner, you know. Here's what he, he, he's, he's walking down the aisles, handing out an exam. And here's what he'd say. Half, half kid and half not. Alright, y'all just remember, the same heart that would cheat on a test is the same heart that would cheat on his wife. That'll get your attention. Was he wrong? Starts in the heart. This is why Jesus says, if you're angry, you're guilty. You know why? Where will that if that anger's not put in check, where will that lead you? It'll lead you to actions that you will regret. If you are so angry that then you verbalize it and you say to your... Look what he said, verse 22. If you're angry with your brother, 
If you say to your brother, this is not a random person. There's already a relationship there. If you're angry and it drives you then to say, verbalize, oh, well, you're good for nothing, empty-headed, you're a fool. You know, if you say that about, if you're, if you're driven to say that about someone, so now it's not just a feeling. Now it has manifested in words that come out of an attitude in your heart. If that's unchecked, by the way, you ever had a really difficult conversation that you need to have with someone and you're just dreading it, right? You just, you don't, you'd rather just not have the conversation. And so you put it off. Well, if you're, if you're smart, you don't. But, but you put it off thinking, well, maybe it'll just, maybe it'll just go away. It never goes away. Typically, it never goes away. And so what happens to that uncomfortable conversation that you needed to have? It just festers and festers and gets worse and worse. And then when you actually have to have the conversation, it's terrible. Far worse than it would have been if you'd have just, just deal with it. Just deal with it. It's not fun. No one, I, mean, I would think, most people don't enjoy conflict. And I, 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 I hate conflict. It makes me terribly uncomfortable. And I'm not afraid of it. I've, I've, that's something God has, has done in my, my life over the years. I, I used to be that, that guy. Man, if I had a tough conversation, no, I'm, not, I'm not having that. I'm not doing that. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe they'll move away. You know, I'm really, you know, just. But God showed me that through my sinfulness of putting off a conversation. This has been almost 12 years ago now. Putting off a conversation that I should have had, and just sat down and calmly, biblically sorted it out. But I was unwilling to do that because I knew it was going to be uncomfortable and I didn't want to, so I didn't. And I suffered the consequences. And it was through that terrible time that I learned this valuable lesson. It will never be less comfortable if you wait. It will always get worse. And, and so even if it's a terrible, uncomfortable conversation, it will never be easier than it is today. The time that goes by will make it worse. So Jesus says, if you're angry, if you say these things, you're guilty before not only the court, the higher court, the Sanhedrin, but then guilty of the fire of hell. Doesn't get any worse than that. So the intended spirit of the law, the action of murder, proceeds from a heart that's full of anger and bitterness toward other people. So what do, we, what do we always want to do? We want to address the root cause, right? We want to fix the heart. Anybody can modify behavior for a time. What do I do with my children? You know, we teach our children right from wrong. We've, we've done that. Our, our children now are 21, 19, and 15. And we have taught them since they were born. We've tried to lead them in, in God's direction learning right from wrong. But if I just yell and tell them, don't do that. Why? I said so. 
right? That's common. I mean, I've said it. Guilty. Okay. But does that does that shape their heart? Or does that just maybe temporarily change their behavior? No, what's the what's the right thing to do? Let's sit down. Let's let's talk about what just happened. And why'd you do that? Do you think do you think Jesus is pleased with that behavior? Do you think that God is is honored by that behavior? Do you, do you think that would be something that you would if Jesus was sitting here, do you think that would be something you want to do or say? Well, why is that? You know, help them think through it and understand. You know what? We're all going to have moments when we mess up. Every one of us. But, but God is guiding us into a different path. And the only way we're going to stay on that path is if we understand the spirit of what's being told to us in His Word. Not just the literal letter of the law. We need to understand the spirit of it. Is murder wrong? Absolutely. But where does it come from? Anger. Bitterness that's undealt with. Right? We've got we to gotta deal with these things. There's a couple, let me give you a couple references you can write down that are really, really helpful. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. It's the very end of chapter 12. And both of these talk about peace. The Bible says, Romans 12, 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's the point there? People will be outright confused if they treat you poorly and you're nice to them. It doesn't make any sense. And, and, and by the way, you know what happens right after that happens? If you treat somebody with kindness when they've just been a, a scoundrel toward you, you know what will happen a lot of times? They'll be so confused that they will look at you or they'll ask somebody else to get back to you and they'll say, what in the, what in the world just happened? How, why, didn't he, why didn't he holler back at me? Why didn't he... And, and you know what that is? That's what we call in spiritual terms an open door for the gospel. Because then you, here's what you say. Well, you know, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have responded that way. But let me tell you why. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I don't deserve forgiveness for all my stuff. But He gave it to me anyway. So who am I not to, to give that to you? Because I'm, I'm no better. I'm no better. But Jesus loves me and He loves you too. And He'll forgive your sins and give you eternal life. He'll change you. But you know what? Nobody ever believed that if they don't see a change in me. And I'm going to tell them He'll change you. See? See how that connects? Because what are, what are people naturally going to ask you? Jesus will change your life. Really? Has He changed your life? It makes a difference. Then another verse, Hebrews 12, 14, very simply says, Pursue peace with all men 
and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Peace. Not anger, not bitterness. Now the last part of this passage just really really simply gives some application of the law of Christ from verse 23 to verse 26. There's two settings. First is a church setting, and this is most uh, appropriate for us today. The Bible says, verse 23, so you're, you're gathered with the church for worship, and you remember while you're there that you've got something between you and somebody else. Your brother, the Bible says, your brother has something against you. But look what the remedy for that is. Verse 24. Leave your offering. In other words, if I'm here and I'm trying to worship the Lord, I'm trying to sing His praises, I mean, how great is our God, sing about the, the goodness of God, Glory to His name. At, at the cross, that's where the blood was applied to me. I was given forgiveness because of the sacrifice of Christ. I'm worshiping Jesus. And in the midst of that, in the back of my mind, thinking about this, this nagging conflict. I had an argument with somebody or whatever it may be. Maybe I'm holding a grudge or... or harboring unforgiveness towards someone. I know there's some, somebody I know, somebody who maybe even I count a friend maybe, and, and there's something between us that's not right. But here I am, and I'm trying to worship Jesus. Well, verse 24, the Bible says, leave your offering. Immediately, leave your offering. Go find your brother, make it right. Whatever it is, find your brother and make it right. Reconcile with your brother before you continue to try to worship. You know what he's saying? You can't worship truly if you got something in your spirit that's not... if you got a, 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 a severed relationship somewhere. It's because it's not... It's not true. It's not honest. You, you just at that point you're trying to work through it, but it's not really, not really true. Seek reconciliation before attempting to continue worship. Leon Morris, great, I love this guy, New Testament scholar. Leon Morris, he said, "There's something more urgent than completing the act of sacrifice because the act of sacrifice is not as important as the spirit in which it is done." Listen here. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. We, we use, we, every week we usually receive an offer. But I've watched it over, I've, I've been here five years now. Seems like a, a, a day. I, I, hope it's, I hope it's 50 more years. I love you guys. I love y'all so much. I just, I'm so, I've told people, this week I was at a pastor's conference in Georgia, and I must have told this story 20 times. How, how are things going at church, man? I mean, I, I love it. It's so wonderful. I love being here. But let me tell you, I've watched it. Specifically since March uh, and April of 2020, you know what happened then. I've watched. Just overall, God don't need our money. 
God's going to supply, provide whatever He wants to provide. He doesn't need, he doesn't need our money. So, so I always tell people, try to, don't think that if, if, you're, if you're dropping some money in the plate because you're trying to check a box and clear your conscience, you keep that in your pocket. God doesn't need that money. He doesn't. I've seen it too many times. God will provide everything we need to do what He calls us to do. Every time. Every time. And if you hadn't been paying attention, keeping track, I have. March 2020. Because COVID. And everybody's... What in the world? I mean, not everybody here, probably everybody everywhere. What are we going to do? Can't meet. We can't get an offering. You know what? How are we going to pay the bills? How, did you know that in February of 2020, this church, our overall giving was here and went up like that and set a new new normal. Did y'all know that happened in February of 2020? I don't know if you were paying attention. It did. And, did you, and then the next month, COVID happened. We were outside. We were doing, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. Did you know that since that day, March the 22nd of 2020, I got marked my calendar. The giving in this place. doesn't matter how many people were here. Because for a year, we had half the people. Giving never changed. Not one not one bit. The overall average. And I just see a total. You know, I'm not sitting here, well, let's see what they do. Now, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying the total. Every week. You want to talk about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God? He takes care of His people. Through all of that nonsense, no matter what, God provides and so, when we have an, uh, an opportunity to give an offering, to, to be obedient and to, to worship God through giving of ourselves, the spirit of what's happening is so much more important than actually the act of it. I mean, I didn't plan to, to say all that just then, but it's a good illustration of what's being taught here. If we come to hear the Word of God and receive the, the blessings of God and we're not first reconciled with our neighbors, we are, we are going toward our own damnation. Because we're going to have some, something in our heart somewhere against someone or someone's going to have something against us and we know it, but yet we're going to walk in here and act like we're just worshiping Jesus like nothing's wrong. And, and here's the problem with that. You can, I can even, any of us, can fool every other person in this room. But if you think you're fooling the Holy Spirit of God, you are sadly mistaken. You know how I know that? Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare 
to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, to whom we must give an account. And God sees. There's no point in not being honest. God sees. So here's the bottom line truth. In a church setting, for the application of this truth, here's the bottom line. We cannot be angry. We cannot hold a grudge. We cannot withhold forgiveness or ignore a problem between ourselves and another person without completely destroying our ability to worship Jesus. It's just not possible. We may think we're participating in worship, but we are really just fooling ourselves. Because Jesus knows our hearts. He knows about the unresolved conflict. He knows about the forgiveness that we're withholding. He knows about the anger or the bitterness. He knows. The last part of this passage talks about a different setting, like a, a legal setting. You see, as, as uh, the Bible says in verse 25, even as late as when you're on the way to the courtroom, make things right with your enemies or pay your debts to your enemies or reconcile. Otherwise, you'll be handed over to the judge, then to the officer, then to the jailer, and you will not be released until your debt is paid in full. And so basically, here's what, what that shows us. We can't delay in putting things right. Difficult conversations, um, conflict among uh, us and another person, a friend, or, or even not a friend, but just estrangement in general. We can't allow those things to remain, certainly not to grow worse, we don't need to delay in making things right. D.A. Carson, another wonderful New Testament teacher, says what Jesus is stressing here is the urgency of personal reconciliation. Judgment is looming and justice is going to be done. Therefore, keep clear of malice and offense toward others. Reconcile. Make things right. Make things right. Get, and by the way, did you know that... Uh, Man, I wish I could remember the source of this quote. I know I didn't come up with it. Uh, I want to say it's a uh, like an old church father, like from like a thousand years ago. But anyway, here's what here's what he said: Withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and then expecting the other person to die. So basically, here's what that means: They might they may not even worry about it. They may just be living their lives. You're sitting there holding on to this and they just may not even care. But meanwhile, it's just eating you alive. It's just eating you alive. So for, for the good of your own heart and for the, for the good of the relationship, you, just, you know what? You didn't ask for it. And maybe in my, deep in my heart, I don't even think you deserve it. But you know what? I didn't deserve forgiveness either. For me, but he gave it to me. So you know what? Just, let's, for, let's just bury the hatchet. Let's forget about it. You're forgiven. Let's just, you know, life's too short. And Jesus is too good. Let's, let's be done with that. Reconcile. The bottom line truth, Jesus expects His children to be quick to resolve differences with other people, regardless of whether they're friends or enemies. Otherwise, we're guilty before Him, and, and then we deserve judgment for not being willing to reconcile. So here's how we conclude today. 
Do we commit murder? By the biblical definition, yes. We lose our tempers, we harbor grudges, we gossip, we kill by neglect or spite or jealousy. And we would learn that we actually do worse things than these if we could see our hearts as God sees them. Jesus says we're not to be that way as Christians. So we've got to ask God to change our hearts because only God is able to do that. You want to be free from anger and bitterness, resentment, grudges, struggling with offering forgiveness. You want to be free from that stuff? Just, just run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, not just for those particular circumstances, but run to Jesus for your own spiritual health. We, I, don't, I don't believe we really fully understand how desperate of a situation we're in. Many times I don't, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'll just say myself, I don't, sometimes I just forget how desperate I am for Jesus. Whether I acknowledge it or not, sometimes I forget how much I am fully, totally dependent on Jesus. Sometimes He reminds me. Let me, let me close with a personal story. I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not, but uh, I think I am. And I don't know if anybody, maybe nobody knows this. Monday morning at 2 a.m., I woke up, and uh, long story short, I spent 13 hours in the hospital on Monday. And uh, standing there in my bathroom looking in the mirror, just up for no apparent reason, felt my heart flutter. What in the world was that? Didn't feel bad. Felt normal. Just felt my heart flutter. So uh, woke some people up in the house, and we decided probably wise we're supposed to go out of town to this pastor's conference in Georgia. I was supposed to be serving at a particular part of that. And uh, so, well, if we, if we got any chance of going to that, we probably better go on to the uh, emergency room now and just get this sorted out, figure out what's going on. So we did. Made it there in record time because we got nothing but green lights at 2 in the morning. Uh, so that was nice. But let me tell you, just let me tell you what God did. He did a lot in that 13-hour span. Let me just tell you what he did. We got there quicker than ever. In an emergency room, I was seen in five minutes. Right? I mean, what? what? You mean five hours? No, five minutes. Did some vital signs, did a quick EKG, and said, oh, you're in AFib. Go back to this room. So they wheel me back to this room. So I'm back there in the room, they're starting IVs and they're doing all this. And so I'm back there by, after they do all that stuff, then I'm alone for about 20, 30 minutes. And I just start praying. 
God, I don't know what's going on here or why. But this, this one verse of Scripture just kept, kept coming to mind. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. And I, didn't, I had to look it up because I, I knew the word, but I didn't know where it was. It says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's how I felt. So hours go by, they keep treating me, telling me what's going on. they got medicine running here, medicine running here. And so, you know, and all this time I don't feel any different. But anyway, they say, hey, we're going to take you upstairs. going to shock your heart back into rhythm. Awesome. Always wanted to do that. <laughs> so uh, they uh, get me on the little bed, get it going, roll me through all these halls, and up the elevator, and going to the cath lab. That's where they do that. And so uh, as soon as we walk in, uh, I didn't walk, I'm in the bed, but they uh, roll me through the door, and I see a restroom, you know, with all these fluids going. I said, hey, can I uh, you stop and use that restroom real quick? Before we do anything. Okay, so hop out, go in there, hop back in the, into the little gurney and make sure all my IVs are good, roll down <coughs> 30 feet or so into the little bay, and pop open the, the if you ever used an a, a portable AED, you've got the stickers. Big stickers. So stick one there, one on my back, the wire's going, you know, I'm preparing for all that. And uh, so at this point, it's about 8.30 in the morning. And the nurse, who's been walking us through, telling us what's about to happen, she walks out down the hall somewhere, I don't know why, uh, she's gone maybe 30 seconds. And as she's walking back, another nurse meets her in that little common area there outside of where I am and says, Hey, Amber, uh, you need to check your monitor on number three. And she said, Why? And she said, Well, it's back in perfect sinus rhythm. And she's hollering. At that time, I don't know that I'm number three. So I just hear him out there hollering. And so she walks in, throws the curtain back. Well, Mr. McCormick, we're not doing anything to you. Uh, why? Because your heart's in perfect rhythm. And she said, I, I don't know what's going on. I said, let me tell you what's going on. So through that experience, uh, seven hours in AFib. Uh, not only did I not have to have anything done, I got to share Jesus with everybody in the Catholic. And then they said, we're going to admit you just for a few hours, you know, make sure the medication gets through your system and all this stuff and make sure you're good. And uh, so I go up, upstairs to the seventh floor on the North Tower. And uh, so then I get to talk about Jesus to four other people. And... Uh, 3.30, we're out the door. So, and then we're headed to Georgia. Because we asked, we're supposed to go to this thing. Is, it, is that okay? We, yeah, you're, you're good. Pick up your prescriptions on the way out of town. You're fine. Okay. Now, on the grand scheme of things, that's minor. And I know that. But, when you wake up in the middle of the night and something's going on with your heart, it doesn't feel mine. But for whatever reason, I needed to be reminded of a couple of things. So I'm going to just share those with you. One, there's not a moment that I draw a breath that Jesus is not in charge of that. 
I am 100% dependent on Jesus for my life. And two, He he wants us to pray and to seek His face and to tell other people what He's done. He wants us to do that. At, At any opportunity, even when you're not thinking about it, but, you know, God has a way of thrusting you into situations where you start thinking about it. And I'm convinced now that's what's happening. Maybe I just needed a, a little reminder. But whatever the case, Jesus is Lord of all creation. There, there's not a moment that He is not in charge. And the more we realize how desperate we truly are for Him and His touch and His provision and His um, sustaining work in our lives, the more we remember that, I believe, the closer we'll be to Him and the more glorified He will be in us and the more we'll have an opportunity to tell people about His goodness. We sing about it. When's the last time we told somebody about it? Was a, it was a, an unfortunate but very much needed reminder. Run to Jesus. Listen, listen to what He says. Do what He says. Let Him be glorified through you. He, he wants to do that. He doesn't have to, but He, he wants to. You won't be sorry. You'll never be sorry for following Jesus. Let me let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.